Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons Podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Hey, good morning, John. Today, we're going to have an exciting day where we get to talk about a, a hot topic, drugs. What brought us to this session today? Frank, I'm so happy to be here again today. And the reason we're here today, and, and, and thank you for joining me, the reason we're here today is one of our listeners, listener request, asked us to speak about a couple of topics kind of related one to another. Um, so one of them is drug testing and workplace safety and OSA's position relative to uh, drug testing and workplace safety. It's a topic that is with legalization movement, you know, we're, we're seeing all types of, you know, sort of, uh, I hate to say fallout, but you're seeing all sorts of growth in that area from the standpoint of it's not just legalizing the substance, it's also, you know, okay, well, if somebody uses this at home recreationally on the weekend and they get a drug test, you know, five days later, you know, are they actually impaired and should that person be penalized for having the positive drug test? And a lot of states have said the answer is no. Yeah, what is lost in that a lot of times is the fact that in the backdrop, we've got the federal government. The federal government still hasn't legalized anything um, other than, you know, sort of your normal prescription medications. So that's why we're here, Frank. So I know that uh, you and uh, one of our law partners, Wayne Pinkston from Philadelphia, have recently um, prepared a blog that will be going up pretty soon. So I, I, I thought maybe we could, um, we could introduce this podcast by um, highlighting some of the elements that uh, you and Wayne discussed in that blog. But before we get into that, uh, I'd remind our listeners that our focus uh, on this podcast is for Region 6. Region 6 covers Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, Oklahoma. And while it's a state plan, we, we also touch a little bit on New Mexico. So I, I thought maybe it would be nice if we kind of went state by state talking about the state of, uh, of marijuana uh, legislation. If you're all right with that, I'd ask that you uh, start with the easiest state first. Uh, you know, what, what, what marijuana use is allowed in Texas? Well, so Frank, lo and behold, this is going to shock nobody. Um, Texas is not exactly leading the pack on the legalization uh, arena. Texas has not legalized anything. And in Texas, as relates to employment-related uh, drug testing. So whether it's uh, pre-employment, uh, random, post-incident, what have you, there's no restrictions in Texas on an employer's ability to do that type of testing. Let's travel a little bit east and uh, talk about our, our good friends from Louisiana. Uh, Louisiana actually does have some restrictions, as I understand it. Can you talk about those a little bit for us? Of course. Yeah, Louisiana is kind of an interesting place. Um, as relates to the testing of job applicants, there is no restriction in Louisiana on testing of job restrictions as of this date. Um, having said that, uh, employee testing is authorized 
but employees cannot be discharged on the basis of first-time positive test results. Um, if an employee is discharged as a result of drug use, whether it's on or off the job, they may be disqualified from receiving unemployment compensation. Employees of state contractors are, however, subject to random drug testing. Moving from Louisiana, let's uh, travel a little bit north and uh, uh, tell us what we should know about Arkansas. Interestingly enough, whereas Texas has done nothing with respect to legalization or that movement, Arkansas has moved in the legalization direction. However, Arkansas has not uh, taken any steps relative to employment-related drug testing. And so employment-related drug testing goes on in Arkansas unabated. We have Louisiana that's medical marijuana uh, approved. We have Arkansas medical marijuana approved. And then we take a left turn to Oklahoma, which is another medical marijuana state, as I understand it. Well, what should we know about Oklahoma? Interestingly enough, Oklahoma has kind of a strange setup relative to pre-employment testing. In Oklahoma, applicant testing is authorized if the applicant is given advance notice and after an offer of employment has been made. So you know, just kind of wholesale pre-employment testing of everybody who's applied isn't allowed. It's only with written notice and only after an uh, offer of employment has been made. Um, and then when the notice is given, it has to be in writing. It has to describe the methods, procedures, and the policy in detail. Um, with respect to employee testing, employee testing is authorized on 30 days advance notice to employees of a policy describing the potential discipline for the positive test result itself. So if you know, an, an employer comes up with a new policy or a new, has an interest in, in altering its policy, they can't do anything with that policy for 30 days. And lastly, let's journey to the land of enchantment. Uh, what, what do we need to know about New Mexico's uh, recreational use and medical marijuana use laws? But interestingly enough, New Mexico also has not taken any steps uh, as relates to you know, whether it be pre-employment or, you know, various types of drug testing during the scope and course of employment drug testing. Uh, with regard to post-accident, which is kind of one of the key discussion points for us when we're talking uh, about these state laws uh, regarding marijuana as it applies to our practice area, do we have any states in this region that have a, a, a ban or, or any restrictions on post-accident testing? No, that's a great question, Frank. Um, but let me let me kind of broaden that a little bit. That that I'm aware of, there's no state or locality that actually bans post-incident drug testing. The issue that I think you know employers are going to want to be careful about in certain locales, yeah, you know, where there are some limits, is whether the post-incident drug test alone can be the basis for some sort of adverse employment action. And we'll get into it in a little bit, but you know, I do think that there are some constraints relative to what an employer may want to do with respect to post-incident drug testing, depending upon how they do it. And I suspect, though, in, in our region, you know, which is for purposes of the audience, 
Louisiana, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas, and New Mexico, none of those states restrict an employer relative to what they do with consistent drug testing. And in fact, I suspect Texas is not alone, although I've not checked into this. You know, in, in certain states, Texas being one of them, a positive post-incident drug or alcohol test, you know, can serve as the basis to disqualify someone from receiving workers' compensation benefits. That covers state. How does how does the federal law interplay with uh, with regard to marijuana testing? Well, you know, Frank, it's kind of funny that the, the legalization effort and, and yeah, this came up in the context pretty predominantly early on where BATFE, you know, sometimes referred to folks as ATF, you know, kind of reminded folks that, you know, while this, your state may have legalized marijuana, the federal government hasn't legalized marijuana. And, you know, sort of similarly, you know, there are a number of federal regulations and there are a number of requirements for federal contractors, as for instance, relative to maintenance of a drug-free workplace that, you know, limit the ability of states or limit the impact of the state's having legalized marijuana or whatever recreational or, or well, drugs they may have legalized um, in terms of testing. Um, and that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface relative to the OSHA piece. Yeah, the moral of that uh, answer is you've got to know what laws apply to the workplace, right? And then follow those laws. For instance, uh, if you're operating trucks, uh, long haul trucks, there's still testing that's required um, under the Service Transportation Act. Am I right about that? Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, not surprisingly, you know, basically anybody that's covered by the Surface Transportation Act, anybody that's in transportation, so whether it's air, rail, ground, you know, particularly with regard to trucking, those are all areas where, you know, drug testing goes on basically business as usual, even in states like California, you know, specifically carve out of their regulations compliance with, you know, laws like the FMCSA, uh, Federal Motor Carrier Safety Act, you know, with respect to, to truck drivers. Let's turn to our area. Let's talk about the Occupational Safety and Health Act. Uh, as probably many people listening to this podcast recall back in 2016, OSHA issued an interpretation letter that restricted uh, or purported to restrict an employer's ability to take action based on a positive test for marijuana. John, do you feel comfortable giving a little bit more background on that? Yeah, I'm happy to. And, and in fact, I've, I've you know talked to a number of folks and written a fair amount about this. So the, the standard interpretation that you're referring to relates to 29 CFR 1904.35, specifically subparts BLI and, and or BL1 and, and, and BL4. And it addressed two topics kind of broadly. So one of those was safety incentive programs, and one of those was post-incident or post-accident drug testing. Jeff Leslie and I did a podcast relative to pizza parties. It was Karen, Jeff, and I, um, Karen Tynan, our, our Sacramento colleague. But you know, to make a long story short, um, we'll kind of not dwell on the safety incentive program. We'll talk about the post-incident drug testing. And you know, in that standard interpretation, OSHA took the position that that part of the Code of Federal Regulations does not prohibit employers from drug testing employees who work uh, report 
work-related injuries or illnesses if the employer had an objectively reasonable basis for testing. And it also didn't apply to drug testing of employees who are being drug tested for reasons other than reporting injuries. Um, and then, you know, it kind of goes into a, a little bit of detail, or it kind of went into a little bit of detail about basically the issue of employees reporting injuries, i.e. being hurt or injured on the job and having to get medical care or treatment and drug testing. And, and you know, kind of in, in a nutshell, OSHA back in 2016, almost as though they were prescient as to what the states were going to do that had legalized drug and alcohol testing, basically said that if an employee was injured and you were going to, um, you know, do drug testing, that there were going to be factors that OSHA would look at to determine whether or not that post-incident drug or alcohol testing was reasonable and, and whether the employer had a reasonable basis for asking for that drug testing or alcohol testing. I had a, an unfortunate case uh, several years ago, uh, and uh, one of the suspicions was the person, before he had his accident, had gone outside on break and had and smoked marijuana. The coroner evaluated that, and, and in a rare instance where a coroner actually got on the telephone with me, uh, this coroner for a local county here near Dallas, explained the difficulties with evaluating the amount of THC in the blood when they're when they're doing the pathology when they're doing the study, and she explained it like a bell curve where the number starts small uh, when when somebody first ingests the marijuana, the THC number gets very very tall in the middle, and then it gets low again as the THC processes out of the blood, which can take up to thirty days. So what, the way she explained it to me. Uh, it was uh, when the THC number is very small, it can mean one of two things. Either they, the individual just ingested it or they ingested it nearly 30 days ago. Interestingly, uh, right after ingesting the THC, that's when people are considered high, right? That's where they get, they, they get the, the, the effect of the drug. But the numbers look the same on the back end of that 30 days later which makes it, has made it difficult historically to determine whether they were under the influence or, or not. So one of the things that that 2016 OSHA memo pointed out that, or that standard interpretation, not a memo, but the standard interpretation pointed out was the employer should be looking at other factors. Uh, I personally like that analysis uh, having done a fair amount of traditional labor work, I like the analysis of looking at other factors, looking at behavior, and and trying to link the behavior to a positive drug test. I find that always helps in those labor arbitrations. Are there other aspects to look at or that, that you've looked at or considered uh, in similar situations, John? Yeah, well, Frank, kind of... Yeah, you know, going back to the 2016 memo, and and a lot of this has been captured in you know various state and local ordinances relative to drug testing in those locales where legalization has taken place. You know that they 
kind of talk about, you know, various factors that OSHA should consider as, you know, kind of justification or explanation for why an employer would do some drug testing. And, you know, one of the things that they suggested is having a reasonable basis to assume or, or to believe that, that drugs or, or alcohol may have led to the incident. And, and in my mind, you know, there you're talking about sort of the indicia of impairment where, you know, you're, you're talking about things like the glassy eyed, the slurred speech, the, you know, change in mood or, or personality, you know, so on and so forth. Um, OSHA puts a little bit more detail in that memo and, you know, they're, they're talking about, you know, things like, you know, not only are you testing the injured employee, but are you also testing the other employees who are involved in um, the incident that caused the injury or illness of the tested employee? Whether there's any sort of employer heightened interest in determining if drug use could have contributed to the injury or illness due to the you know level of hazard associated with the work, and um, you know they kind of close out one of the paragraphs in that memo. And, you know, said that OSHA would only consider whether the drug test is capable of measuring impairment at the time the injury or illness occurred where such a test is available, which kind of goes to the point that you're making. And, and, you know, that was that that last phrase was widely construed as speaking to, you know, the only test at the time. And, And unfortunately, I don't think we've gotten better about that, you know, and kind of consistent with your belt curve. We don't know what does X mean in terms of a drug test. And so the only test at the time of the 2016 memo that was widely viewed as meeting the criteria established by OSHA was the alcohol test where blood alcohol concentration has been tied with determining a person's level of intoxication. Although if we want to get kind of crazy philosophical about that, you know, back in the day when you and I were youngsters and, and, you know, coming of age in terms of alcohol, you know, the, the, the level across a lot of the country was 0.10 and that's been dropped to 0.08. And in some locales, I think it's down to 0.06 um, or 0.05 even. So, you know, that's one of those things where, yes, there's tests for alcohols, for instance, that do measure legal impairment, but even the definition of legal impairment has changed over time. Yeah, that's true. Of course, alcohol is not a good comparator in terms of the way you metabolize because alcohol has a very specific metabolization curve. Uh, so what what's the current state with regard to that standard interpretation um, as far as OSHA is concerned officially? Well, so there was a second interpretation that came out a couple of years later in 2018, right before the presidential election. And it, it didn't really speak all that terribly intensely to the drug testing. It was really kind of more focused on the, you know, quote unquote, uh, pizza party type stuff where, um, you know, folks were, were, you know, using incentives as part of their safety program. Um, But, you know, OSHA did say in 2018 that the following was a list of acceptable forms of drug testing. So random drug testing. and, And I don't think anybody interpreted the 2016 memo as prohibiting random drug testing, drug testing that is unrelated to the reporting of a workplace injury or illness, drug testing pursuant to a state workers' compensation law, 
drug testing under federal law, such as USDOT law, um, and drug testing to evaluate the root cause of a workplace incident that harmed or could have harmed employees. And OSHA continues on and says, if the employer chooses to use drug testing to investigate the incident, the employer should test all employees whose conduct could have contributed to the incident, not just the employees who reported injuries. Yeah, so let me let me break in right there. What well, why is OSHA so interested in not targeting necessarily the the person who was involved in the in the accident or the person that reported the the injury or the accident? Well, the perspective that OSHA put forth in 2016, which which is really kind of the only contextual document um, is that you know, they were concerned that employers were using post-incident drug testing to discriminate against folks and to deter folks from reporting injuries or illnesses in the workplace. You know, obviously, there are certain injuries or illnesses, you know, specifically death, that are hard for an employee, number one, to report, but number two, you know, hard for an employer to avoid. But you know, there was a number of, you know, kind of on the more minor end of the spectrum, injuries and illnesses that OSHA thought were not being reported because folks were concerned about being terminated or disciplined for being positive. John, you've really done a great job of covering all these elements. I guess for parting words, parting thoughts, uh, what are the considerations that you would invite employers to to work through if they're planning on using post-accident drug testing? Well, thank you for the kind words, Frank. Um, as, as always, it's been a pleasure. Um, a couple of thoughts. You know, first of all, OSHA isn't going out there and citing dozens, let alone hundreds, let alone thousands of employers for violating the standard because they use post-incident drug testing. Um, I think if anywhere that there's any activity on this, I think it's probably in the whistleblower or 11C section of, of OSHA where you know they're basically taking up whistleblower cases that in my mind are kind of a form of wrongful termination cases um, on behalf of employees who've been terminated as opposed to incident drug testing. But second, you know, employers need to be giving consideration to whether it's reasonable, particularly in states where recreational use of substances. And so, you know, employers need to be taking a look at, you know, kind of what their drug testing policies are and, you know, kind of figuring out in, you know, the rubric that now exists because of legalization, you know, whether what they're doing is objectively reasonable. If an employee is walking down the street, like in one of the old Bugs Bunny Roadrunner cartoon hour cartoons, and a piano falls out of a building and, and they're walking down the street to go from you know point A to point B for their employer, you know, that piano falling out of that building probably had nothing to do with whether or not that employee was under the influence of anything. Um, you know, if there's a, a group effort taking place and the employer thinks that the, the group effort was somehow marred by substance abuse. And yet the only person that's tested is the person that was injured. Yeah, you know, that just doesn't seem, you know, kind of the man on the street type perspective as a reasonable effort at drug testing. So, you know, I, I think that 
employers would be wise, not quite yet in Region 6, at least not fully, but certainly in other parts of the country, employers would be wise to, to kind of look at their post-incident drug testing policies and practices and determine whether you know they're, they're really reasonably applied, reasonably applicable, reasonably tailored towards you know, determining if substance abuse, substance use played any role in that incident or not. And, and if those policies aren't crafted that way, you know, maybe taking the pen out and, and, you know, start fine tuning them a little bit. I think those are good thoughts. The, uh, uh, I would add to the 11C that OSHA can also issue citations uh, under the OSHA Act under 1904.35B14, allegedly discriminating against individuals who report injuries, including doing um, drug tests on those. That's certainly the subject of the memo you just discussed. As far as keeping up with state laws, that's always a challenge. The firm does have an OD Comply subscription service that the individuals who subscribe to it are able to click on an individual state and get a nice rundown. Of, um, of, of those state laws as they develop. Lastly, um, I should have mentioned this at the beginning, but I noted in your blog that, that in the areas of accommodation, food services, uh, retail trade employees, transportation and warehousing, that seemed to show the highest increase in the, the, the positive drug test for marijuana since 1997. And so uh, maybe would invite employers in those areas, accommodation, food services, retail trade, transportation, and warehouse workers to heighten the vigilance, no? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that, you know, from the standpoint of, you know, the sectors that are involved, I mean, you know, look, we're, we're talking about sectors where, you know, you shouldn't, I mean, in the transportation sector, you've got FMCSA regulations to comply with. But in the others, you know, you're talking about, you know, industry sectors where post-incident drug and alcohol testing probably isn't all that terribly intensely applied. But, you know, at the same time, employers in those sectors really need to be mindful of the fact that testing everybody that's been hurt for some sort of, you know, substance in their system maybe doesn't make a lot of sense. And, and whether it's considered retaliatory or violation of this standard, you know, there could be some consequences from the folks at OSHA. As always, I appreciate it. I hope you have a good rest of your day and I look forward to, to our next conversation. Frank, it's been a pleasure. You take care of yourself and we'll be back next week. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.